Hello, my name's Russell Howcroft. I've lived a lot of lives. I've been an ad man, a CEO, a chair, an author, a panelist, and I currently co-host a radio show on 3AW. And I'm partner and chief creative officer at The Sayers Group. And I'm host of this podcast. Welcome to Conversations, a Sayers podcast. Throughout my time, I've learned that so much in life starts with, yep, a good conversation. And that's what we're going to do right here today. Okay, so welcome to the Sayers Conversation. We, we've got, oh, genuinely one of the great marketers, advertisers of the world, a serious success story. Um, his name is Brent Smart. He's the incoming CMO of Telstra. I think he starts on the 20th of September. He's had an incredible career and I'm excited to be in a position to have a chat to him right here and right now. So g'day, Brent. G'day, Russ. Very, Thanks for having me on the show. It's fantastic to have you on the show. So you and I go a long way back in, in, in reality, but before we, before I tell that story, I just want you to tell me, um, I want to, you to close your eyes and just say, okay, where would you prefer to have a good chat? Is it, um, is it on the beach? Is it in a pub? Is it in a, is it in a corner of a living room? Is it by a fire? Is it out on a boat? Where, where's your favorite place to just have a good old chin wag? Depends who with. Well, so, with me. so with, with you, with you, I reckon a pub right, and a, uh, a couple of schooners would work well, but like with my uh, teenage son, the only way to get him to talk is to get him walking. Nice. And then he starts talking. Very. So, so it sort of, sort of depends, you know, who, who you're talking to. There's a great insight there on, um, on young men. So I, if you buy this theory that blokes are, blokes need to be doing something to talk and Golf is very good because not only are they one doing something, but two, they don't have to look each other in the eye. Yeah. It's the same when you're driving, you know, that too, like when you're in the car and you're both facing forward and you're not looking at each other. I find that, uh, you know, teenage boys talk a bit more. Yeah. There's something about when they don't have to, um, have your undivided stare, you know, uh, they seem to open up a bit, a bit well, more, I, I, but for I, me, yeah. For me, it's, it'd, it'd be a pub. I think, I think there's nothing, uh, better than just, uh, pulling up a bar stool and, uh, catching up with an old mate. I agree with you. I think and a bar stool and in a way, see, you're not facing each other. When I go out to lunch with, um, with chaps, I actually don't like sitting opposite them. I, I prefer to find a way to do, be on a round table, um, and then sort of sit at, sit, sorry, at like sort of six o'clock and 10 o'clock. That'd be my preferred. I hope, I hope that if you go with one male friend, you don't sit next to each other. Cause that, that, that'd be a bit weird. No, you leave that for the bride <laughs> and you pretend you're in, you know, Paris or something like that, Brent. Anyway, we should get on, we should get on with what we want to talk about. So, so as I say, Brent's a serious, a very, very, very significant success story in the world of brand media, advertising, marketing, and we're going to get to that. So Brent, oh, this is all about you. Um, but before I talk about you, I'm going to talk about me. Uh, I was working in London Spent most of my twenties in London, came back uh, to work at the agency George Patterson, uh, George Patterson Bates as, as it was called at the time, and they asked me to get in, uh, involved in the graduate program um, to you know bring in some graduates. There was the usual AFA program. Um, I was agitating really that there was a need to go out there and find some new people, some interesting people, and frankly some people with some significant brains. So I said, listen, let's just go to Melbourne University. And what we need to do is we need to find the smartest person we can find that wants to be in advertising. And we got three people. Um, one of them is you, Brent. Um, so 
that's a that's a long time ago. That is a genuinely a long time ago. But that's that is the the seed, the root cause of you being in this game. So I'm not sure. Should I apologise or are you thankful? Well, I think I should be thanking you, Russ. Um, yeah, guys, a long time ago. It was actually Monash, not Melbourne, but uh, that's okay. Um, well, let's go to Monash and find the smartest person. Monash Uni, that's well, okay. Um, well, we've got people from I'll, Melbourne as well, so we must have got yeah, to Yeah, right. Mm. Yeah, I did marketing at Monash. But um, yeah, that seems like it's a long time ago, but I, I, I wouldn't change it. I, I, I think growing up in advertising and growing up in agencies was just the best education. And I still believe it's the best education you can have for a variety of reasons. I mean, I mean, the first reason is you're surrounded by creativity every day. It's a creative business. Uh, and you learn about the power of creativity and the power of ideas. You get very comfortable around ideas. I think being an account guy, as you were too, um, I think you learn all the skills you need to be incredible inside a big corporation because ultimately what you do as a good account guy is, um, you know, you, you, you're great at managing stakeholders. You're all about influence because you can't make the decision. The client's making the decision. So you get really good at influencing. You really, you get really good at presenting and, and selling, um, which I think are really important skills. So, so, you know, you learn all that. And then the other thing I think, which agencies do is they thrust you into situations, um, where you probably don't quite have the experience to handle that situation. I always say experience is what you get five minutes after you needed it. Mm-hmm. And I think agencies are great like that. They push you into situations at quite a young age where, where you probably don't quite have the experience, but you learn incredible, um, things being in those situations. So yeah, I wouldn't change my agency start, uh, at all. It, 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 I think it's been the making of me in many ways. So a lot of people in that era, um, they'd go into advertising because they'd be, it'd be, <laughs> it'd be like part of the family. There'd be a family member that was in advertising or maybe a, maybe a good close friend. And there'd be a certain seduction that would happen as people would grow up and they go, I wouldn't mind a bit of that. Um, was that part of your upbringing, Brent? Not at all. Um, so I had a very, um, unspectacular, very middle-class upbringing in the outer suburbs of Melbourne, a place called Moral Bark. Um, and my, my old man was in insurance. Um, so yes, he's proud of me now. <laughs> I work in insurance company. He's, he's finally proud of me now. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I sort of couldn't have grown up further away from it. I didn't know anyone in advertising. Um, my, my parents didn't have any creativity in their careers or, or lives, to be honest. Um, and, uh, I, I sort of like many people fell into it. Um, I had, I had a fantastic professor in my final year at at university who said to me, you would be very suited to advertising. Yeah, um, okay. and, and I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what you needed to be to be suited to advertising, but she was right. She was absolutely right. Because the minute I found myself in that world, I sort of found my people and, you know, my wife is from an ad agency. She's an art director. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've made so many great mates through the business and it really was, um, my natural habitat, you know, like it really was from the minute, from the day I walked through those doors at George Patterson Bates in Melbourne, um, I really felt like I, I fitted and, um, and I really thrived in, 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 you know, that culture. So, um, you know, fortunate that I, that I met that professor who saw something in me and, and, um, saw that I'd be a good fit for, for that world, you know? Well, I, I knew a bit about your background, which is why I went down that route, because I reckon that you 
genuinely, you could almost claim is the first diversity and inclusion hire. Um, because <laughs> I'm serious. One of the issues with advertising, if we go back to the back to you know a few decades ago, two and a half decades at least, is it just it hired people just like itself, and to look outside that um, box, outside that circle of you know people just like me. I think it's a critical part of getting advertising or getting marketing brand right. So it is, of course, de rigueur, diversity and inclusion, but it's probably always been the case, yeah? Yeah, I think, and, and good on you for spotting something in me. I mean, you gave me that chance, Russ, and I couldn't have a more different upbringing than, than you had. Um, yeah, I think that's that's interesting. I've never really thought about it that way, but I, I definitely um, knew I was different when I got yeah. in just because of my, my background and, and, I'd, and you know where I'd grown up and how I'd grown up. And um and it's funny because I, I did get a lot of feedback early in my career that I had to knock some of those <laughs> rough edges off a little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, but, but I do think it, um, has helped keep me really grounded. I think that's a really important thing. And, uh, you know, it was really interesting when I worked in New York, we we're, were working on the Walmart account, you know, and you'd, you'd brief these creatives who all lived in Brooklyn had never stepped foot inside a Walmart and were so sort of disconnected from how the regular American live their life. And I, and I see it a bit here in Australia too. You know, a lot of, I think creative people live inside a Surrey Hills bubble or a St Kilda bubble. Um, and they don't really know how to connect to, you know, your regular suburban family in a place like Moorabark where I grew up. And I, I think it has helped keep me grounded and helped sort of, um, you know, just, 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 yeah. Yeah. I think it's been, been more influential than I probably give it credit for. Well, I, I think that this, it's a, it's a really important point you make and it just is, Triggering, triggering for me, Brent, because I remember being in meetings with, often with clients where they would, they would seek out people that understood where they came from. So, you know, if you were, if you were working on a, um, a women's sanitary product, it was sort of fair enough, really, that they were saying, okay, can we talk to people that actually understand what's going on here? Um, or if you're speaking to people that are involved in the wine industry, it's fair enough that they want to speak to people that actually understand it. You know, and we, we could go on. I mean, the point is obvious. And yet the advertising agencies that I certainly worked for thought that that idea was nonsense. It was nonsense that you needed to find people that had a empathy with the brand or the product that you were working on. But maybe that isn't nonsense. I think there's two things going on there, right? I think the first thing is uh, a bit what I was talking to before about a, a connection with regular people, I think is is super important. And I think it's easily lost and easily forgotten, but on the experience thing, it, it's interesting because I, I actually think there's also enormous benefit in being an outsider. Yeah. So, so, and that's certainly my experience from working in an insurance company for the last five years where I'm just so different to the rest of them. And I don't look at problems the way they look at them. And I bring a real outside perspective in. It's also why I love my agency so much because I think agencies bring an incredible outside in perspective. They're just not in the category every day, yeah. like we are as clients. So I think it's, it's, it's an interesting one, right? I, th I think you definitely want people who uh, understand the customer hundred percent, but I also think be wary of the sort of category expert who does it the way the category always does it. And I think you've got to find those mm -hmm. really fresh and unexpected ideas. And all, the one thing I always say, I think I always say a desk is a really dangerous place to do marketing from. So I always encourage my team, you know, get out there and, and, you know, you've got to understand how people shop and you've got to understand 
um, how people live their lives. And, 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 you know, you can't just be sort of sitting behind your desk, reading research to really get an understanding of what's going on out there. So yeah, I, I think, um, it's, it's never been more important to be connected. Um, but make sure you don't get sort of, you know, make sure you don't sort of get too stuck in the category norms, I think. So Brad, I want to talk about, um, I want to talk at length about how you grow as in how you grow businesses and brands. Um, but before, yep. but before we do that, I do want you to credential yourself. Okay. So you were George Patterson Bates as a graduate, young graduate. Um, and yep. you've had a career which has just gone from, well, it's progressed incredibly well. So just please articulate for the listener your career. How long you got? Well, this no. could take a while. No, look, <laughs> no, look I, I mean, I, I sort of, I, I can, I think, um, break my career down into three really important steps, milestones, whatever you want to call them. Um, what, one was when I moved to New Zealand. So, so, you know, yeah, I started George Pats and I went to MSC Saatchi and uh, it was part of sort of their tremendous growth and trajectory here in Australia. But, but, but I'd say the real turning point, the first real turning point in my career was when I went to New Zealand and, um, I just looked at all the work coming out of New Zealand and it was way more interesting than the work in Australia. And I thought I've got to go work over there. There's something going on over there. And I got to work at Colenso, which is a world-class agency that just happens to be in Auckland. Um, and to this day, the best creative work of, uh, from my career has come from that five years I spent at Colenso. And I learned a lot about, um, creativity and how to build a creative culture and, uh, in a really pure way, um, yeah. that, that was, and, and I got to make a lot of stuff, but that's what's great about New Zealand. You, you make lots and lots of stuff. So, so that was amazing and very, very, um, uh, formative, but then, you know, New Zealand gets too small. And, and so I, I thought, no, I've got to get over to the States and, um, you know, I'll, I want to try and can I do this, you know, in the big leagues? Mm. So, uh, I moved to the States with BBDO who, who, you know, Colenso is part of the BBDO network, went to San Francisco, ran the San Francisco office of BBDO. But then, then the sort of second, um, sort of big moment in my career was I went to Saatchi and Saatchi, New York, um, you know, a very iconic agency worldwide headquarters for Saatchi at the time, um, working on massive brands, Procter and Gamble brands. And I ran the general mills business there, biggest food company in America. Um, and ultimately got to run the office. So that was, um, a great experience. I never thought, you know, a boy from rural park in the outer suburbs of Melbourne would be the CEO of such and such in New York. And, um, it, it was incredibly challenging. It was, um, yeah, I learned so much. Um, I got to work with the best marketers in the world in America and, and, um, you know, did super bowl spots and it was just awesome, but then it got really hard, uh, because, you know, it was pretty hard being Saatchi and Saatchi in 2015, going up against Droga 5 and yep. going up against RGA and like, you know, it, it was difficult. And, um, so explain that a little, and, and, explain that a little, you and I know what you mean by that, but, um, oh, uh, well, yeah. I mean, I thought Saatchi, so we, I used to always joke when, when, um, you know, we hired people at Saatchi. I say, now you're working for the one advertising agency your mum's heard of Saatchi and Saatchi. It's such an iconic, famous name in advertising, which was built by the Saatchi brothers through the eighties. And Saatchi and Saatchi had just such an incredible, um, you know, run in those, in those times, but, but its success in the eighties and nineties became its weakness, uh, later on because it was seen as a very traditional yep. advertising agency that made, you know, 30 second ads for Procter and Gamble. And, and, and it was a time in advertising where 
you know, digital social content. It, it was all changing and Saatchi probably hadn't changed, uh, fast enough to keep up with all that. And, and there were just simply, um, well, I always joke the problem with Saatchi and Saatchi is we're, we're not creative enough. We're not digital enough. Like yeah. we're kind of caught in the middle, like a lot of network agencies were yeah. where, yeah. you know, there's these really, you're in America, the most competitive advertising market in the world. You've got the most creative agencies in the world, like Widen and Kennedy, Droga Five, and like, it's incredibly hard to compete with them creatively. And then you've got unbelievable digital agencies like RGA, AKQA, plus the consultants and all the rest of it. Um, and so we were sort of really stuck in the middle. And I think that's the problem for a lot of network agencies. They're just sort of stuck in the middle. They're, they're, yeah. they're not that creative and, um, they're not that innovative and, you know, um, and the world's it's not a great place to be. Right. Yeah. And so, um, I was trying to turn that around. I was trying to make Saatchi more creative. I was trying to make Saatchi more digital, um, made some progress, but it was very hard to, um, fight that perception in the market of, yeah. of, of very Saatchi Saatchi. So, yeah. so it was tough. And, and, and the other thing you learn when you work in New York, um, at global headquarters, that, that, I mean, there's nowhere to hide. You've got the holding company calling you every day. Mm. Uh, your numbers are incredibly visible. It's not like down in New Zealand where you're a rounding error. And, well, you, you, do know. It, you do whatever you like a little in New Zealand, as uh, yeah, as our old mate uh, Ted Horton says. It's like playing tennis without yeah. a net. Yeah, that's right. So you do, you do. It's uh, and, and what's and what's great about New Zealand too is is you get to work on these big global brands. Like we worked with Mars down there, so you work on like Snickers, and you can do what you want. Like yeah. it's incredible, which you, it's, which you it's can't an, do anywhere else an, in the world. No, no. Um, so yeah, so it was, so look, it was, it was, it was tough and, um, it was, um, I'd say the most learning I've had in a role, but the more so probably the most challenging role I had. And at the end of it, um, I was pretty burnt out and, um, okay. uh, you know, my confidence probably wasn't as, as high as it was when I took the job, yep, you know, yep, um, yep. and I was really starting to think about what's next. Okay. So Added, you've got a young family as well. You're well, in that's New it. Added, yeah. So you're in New York, you've got yeah, a young family and you do what a lot of, a lot of Australians do. They get on a plane, come home. Yeah. You get to a point in New York where you, you, you got to make that call and we're going to, are we going to stay here forever or are we going to go back? And I had, I've got three boys. We were living in a great loft apartment in Tribeca. It was awesome. But, but you know, not a lot of space with three boys, but the bigger thing was my boys were just really American. You know, and, and I, I wanted them to be Australian. Yeah. Um, so you sort of think, you know, if, if, if I'm ever going to, if ever that's going to happen, that they're going to be Australian, I've got to get them home, get, get them to high school in Australia. Um, and my oldest son was, uh, 10 when we moved back. Um, and so there was, there was that, there was that sort of key decision point, yeah. you know, do we start at home? And then there was the other thing I was starting to feel, which was after 20 years of trying to convince clients to buy what I thought was the right work and invariably they wouldn't buy that work. Mm. I, I thought, well, maybe, you know, I need to be in a position where I can make those creative decisions for brands. So and so wanna... I felt this real sort of, um, uh, you know, draw to being a CMO. So that was also, um, part of my thinking and, 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 and the thing about CMO roles in America, they're, they're not in places you want to live Russ. Like they're not in New York or LA, they're in Cincinnati, Ohio and yeah. Minneapolis, Minnesota. I mean, I spent my life on planes flying to all these places. Right. And I thought, I don't want to live in any of those places. <laughs> really. So home, you know? home would bound be a CMO because you want to be a buyer and not yep. a seller, a buyer, a buyer yep. of work and not a seller of work. Um, yep. and move to Sydney and you're in the insurance business. Yeah. Which was unexpected. I, I, um, 
I didn't set out to, to be an insurance. As I said, my dad spent his life in insurance. I don't think I ever saw him come home happy one day in his whole career. So I wasn't, I wasn't really, I didn't have a burning desire to be insurance, but, but, but it was bu- incredibly the, bu- the budgets must've been attractive as in the budgets of the client that you were able to shop around. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, and that's part the part of the draw was I needed something with scale because I just worked in America for yeah. you know, eight years. So, so I, I really didn't want to come home to a brand that, that was small and, and, and didn't feel big. So that was part of my criteria. I really wanted a big brand. And the other thing is I wanted an Australian brand. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be reporting to New York or Cupertino or Mountain View or wherever. I, I really wanted to be in control of the destiny of that brand. So, you know, it's a pretty small list when you go, okay. so I want a big Australian brand. Significant business, big brands. Take us through yep. the brands that you've yep. worked on. I, I know you're, you are on your way to Telstra. We'll get to that later, but give us the brands. Yep. Oh, so at IAG, the big one's NRMA, yep. um, which, you know, again, my mum and dad are like, what, what's NRMA? Well, what is that thing you do? Cause in Victoria, you don't see it. It's the New South Wales brand, but it's the market leader in New South Wales, which, which gives it enough scale to be the market leader in Australia. Mm-hmm. It's the biggest insurance brand in Australia. Um, it's a wonderful brand. It's a beautiful brand. A lot like RACV in Victoria or, you know, RACQ in Queensland started as a motor club, beautiful heritage. Um, so that's their biggest brand, but it's a house of brands at IAG. We've also got the CGU brand. Um, SGIO and SGIC, like there's a bunch of brands. Um, but the NRMA brand was the real draw. Um, and, and I had some history with the brand. So, so this is where sort of, I don't know, serendipity kind of comes in. Um, I had history with IG. So, so when I was at MNC Saatchi back in the day in Sydney, um, I ran the IG business, um, and did, I would say until I arrived probably the last good NRMA ad when I was, when I was up there in Sydney, um, which was fondly remembered at IG. It was, it was, it was using the NXS track by my side. It was, it was pretty famous up oh, in yeah. Sydney. Yeah, yeah. And then I moved to New Zealand. I won their IG business in New Zealand. Mm. So I worked on their brands in New Zealand as well. So, so I knew, I knew people in the business and, and I had a bit of history with it anyway. I, I, and, and when I was working in New Zealand, the CEO of the New, Ze- New Zealand business was Nick Hawkins, who's now the CEO of our Australian business. And at the time was our was CFO and I stayed pretty close with Nick and his wife, Jane, and they were in New York and I was having lunch with them at one of my favorite restaurants, Quality Meats. And, uh, uh, you know, I know I was, I was out of Saatchi. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Uh, and Nick sort of said to me, what are you going to do next? I said, well, I'd quite like to be a CMO. I, I, I think that's the next move for me. He said, we're looking for one of them. And literally from that lunch, it sort of went from there and I met Good. people and had conversations and. Okay. So um, was it, so being in a position of power, you know, where you were the buyer, not the seller, did it yeah. live up, did it live up to, um, the expectations of the, uh, and I, I have total empathy and understanding with regard to 20 years of trying to sell ideas that don't get bought. Did it live up to what the, the, the idea that you had in your mind about what it was going to be like? That bit? Absolutely. Lots of other bits, not so much. So, so the liberation of being able to say yes to an idea, um, has been unbelievable. Yep. And, and, and I really feel like, um, I've never been able to, um, shape ideas, protect ideas, make ideas happen as much as I can now. Like, and, and that for me is super liberating why I do what I do. Mm-hmm. There are other parts of the job that, that are nowhere near as much fun as working in an agency. Um, and you know, there's all sorts of risk and compliance meetings and things you have to do that, that you, you don't really, you know, you think you work with all these clients and you, and you, you know, as a, as an account guy and you think, oh yeah, I know their business and I'm really in their business. 
no, you're not. No, no. There's a whole bunch of stuff that you have to do, which, you know, I've got to be honest with you, it's, 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 it's not that enjoyable, but I am able to put up with all that uh, for, for, for the sheer joy I get from being able to say yes to an idea. It's, it's, it's fantastic. And, and um, it's a bit of, it's a bit of the job I love the most. Um, and then I think I've grown to really, uh, as my sort of maybe influences grown, I, I, I've sort of grown to really love how I can influence the business in a bigger way than just, just ideas. But certainly that was the initial sort of draw and, and it's certainly the bit I still enjoy the most. So in the, uh, in the ad game, certainly when I worked in the UK, the number one, the, the number one capability that, um, the agency respected was judgment. And yep. it, it didn't really matter who you are, or what you did. If you were seen to have judgment, then you were seen to be someone that was worth, you know, worth your salary. Um, but it's easy, isn't it? If you're, if you've got judgment as a seller, having judgment as a buyer might be somewhat different. So I'm wondering whether, whether there was great, um, conflict tension, whether you lie awake at night thinking, oh, hang on. It's, it's a bit different having judgment in the selling side than it is in the buying side. Yeah, it is. It is, but, um, but it's, it's, I think it's equally rare to find people who've got it right. So I think, I think it's the most, um, I think, I think it's the bit you can't teach. Yep. Um, and, and that sounds like a bit of a sort of, I always feel like it's a bit of a cop out when I say that, but it's true. I think it's really hard to teach intuition and, uh, teach judgment. And, and, uh, I think taste is important too, by the way. I think that's another really important criteria is, is, is having good taste. Um, but yeah, having, having judgment, being able to sort of, um, you know, feel an idea as opposed to sort of think about an idea. I, I always say, um, yeah, how it makes me feel is my most important criteria. It's got to make you feel something. And, and I think and this, a lot but, of people, this, yeah, bit, sorry. but this brand, this is where I reckon it gets hard because judging an idea, f feeling an idea. Yep. I can see, yeah. I can see that feeling an idea because you know, it's going to work at the till, right? That's where it gets potentially more difficult. Yeah. Although I don't really compartmentalize the two things. I, I, I think if it's a great piece of creative that moves people, then it's going to also move the business. Um, well, the great so, news is that you now work at it. You've worked at a place for the last number of years where you can prove that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, and, the, and the starter couldn't, right? That's, that's what's, well, I think what's interesting when you go on these sort of journeys as a marketer is at the start, all you've got is your judgment, yep. your belief, your conviction. That's all you've got. You don't have the data, the case studies. You can't prove anything. Um, and that's why having like conviction and, and, and passion and really believing what you're doing is so important because it, it does get people bought into the journey. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting one, man. The whole judgment and, and sort of, yeah, the creative judgment piece. I, I, I think that it's, um, you know, I think it's super important. I think it's something that I, I don't know, maybe I'm, I think I'm pretty lucky. It's always sort of, um, come pretty naturally to me. And again, I don't know why, like I can't point to my background or my upbringing or any of that sort of stuff, but, 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 um, it's, I just get really excited about it. I, I think a lot of people are fearful of it. Um, well, I'm excited by it. Like I, I, I can't wait for, to see it, you know, and I, it's just my favorite part of the job. And, it's and I think the thing is, it's interesting. I, was, I think I was, part of it go on, Brett, we go got on. to remember is that, that ideas are never born perfect. They're never fully born. They're, they're just sort of, 
very fragile and uh, very fragile things. And I think that you've got to find a way to give them time, give them space, give them support and most of all, give them oxygen, you know, and really get behind an idea and, and, and support it. And I think it's easy to kill one. It's easy to critique one. It's easy to sort of knock the energy out of one. And I think, mm. um, something I try and do is just, just really try and, you know, recognize the fragility of an idea. And, 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 and my job is then to protect that idea. And, and especially the further along you get in the process, you know, corporations are amazing at killing ideas mm. and you've got to work so hard to protect them. So, um, you've now got the biggest marketing job in the country. Yeah. One of, well, probably is that, is it not? I mean, if, <laughs> one we, of, if, we, if we measure it by marketing budget, is it the biggest? I don't know. I don't know. It's not really, well, okay. so I don't measure top... it that way. Well, okay. I don't, but, but it's, but it's, uh, look, it's up there. Yeah. Look, it's big. It's, it's big. big. So when you, when you're thinking about what you're going to do, what are you going to do? Oh, look, the great, great question. I mean, I'm still on the outside, right? I'm not on the inside yet. And I'd, I'd be pretty, um, arrogant to, uh, suggest that I've got all the answers. Um, but what I, I know what I will do is, is approach it. I think in a pretty similar way that I approached this job, um, that, that, that I've been for the last five years. And that is, you know, first of all, we've got to put creativity at the heart of what we do. And, and so, you know, it, it will absolutely be about, um, how do we do great creative work that, um, you know, change, changes how people feel about the brand, uh, and, and ultimately, um, you know, then we'll drive growth. Um, uh, so creativity will absolutely beat the heart of the agenda. Um, that means you've got to build a culture, um, that's creative. You gotta get the right people, uh, who are creative. Um, but that, that, that's always where I start and, and I'll start that way. I, I, I think the, I think there's an, I just see enormous potential because I think they've done a lot of heavy lifting on the business and everyone I met at Telstra, um, are just incredibly, there's this real momentum inside that business and they've done a lot of really hard work over yep. the last few years. So what's really exciting for me as a marketer is that I feel like there's a bit of a lag between the brand and the actual reality of the business. So that's a great opportunity, you know, um, which I'm pretty excited about. Okay. Um, I'm excited about the category, you know, like I, I think insurance has been, um, I, I've loved the challenge of insurance. It's super low involvement. I think there's as a category, we're so connected these days and Telstra says plays such a big role in that connection. Um, I think it's an incredibly rich and fertile, um, category creatively, which is super exciting. So yeah, I don't have the answers yet. Uh, and I'm certainly going in very open-minded. Um, and, um, you know, hopefully we can, we can, you know, pretty quickly get some momentum on some exciting creative work. The media media's must be very difficult. You've got a significant budget. You've had a significant budget. Um, and you're about to move into one. Where do you point your money? I mean, that must be one of the most complex questions where, where look, we all know in the old days, it wasn't that hard, but now it must be incredibly complex to know what the right media mix is. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I believe in the power of emotional storytelling for building brands. And so that guides all the choices I tend to make in media. Mm -hmm. So I think you need big screens. I think you need longer formats. Um, and I think you, you, you need people to be, to have a, to have a certain level of attention. Um, so, so that guides a lot of media choices, but the thing is, 
you know, you can't buy the reach anymore on television. So, so you've got to have a screen strategy where it's about, okay, how do I buy the right amount of reach across multiple screens? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and that's, that's, that's always been the core of, of our media strategy, certainly at IAG. So let me ask you this question. If you want, so you've, you've yeah. created something that you're proud of. Um, yeah. it, it's big and it's beautiful. Um, yeah. Where do you, where will you put it and how long will you put it there to ensure that you've got the right amount of reach and the right amount of frequency? Well, I mean, first thing I'd ask my media agency and, you know, <laughs> they give me a pretty good recommendation, but uh, look, I'd put it, I would, I still think you've got to be on television, right? I don't think it, it doesn't deliver the reach it used to deliver. It, it can't only be there anymore, but I still think it is, uh, you know, it's, I still think it's really powerful and it creates that, that, um, it creates that sort of event where we're all watching the same thing. Even if few of us are, even if few, fewer of us are watching it. Right. Um, but you get to then get a supplement it. So you'd want to be on YouTube. Um, you know, you'd want, I, I love cinema. I think cinema is, is so powerful, captive audience, big, big screen, amazing sound. Hmm. Uh, and you know, if you pick the right films, the big films, you, you, you can build audience, you know, pretty quickly. Um, but I'd be thinking about how all those things work together to give you a, a, a big multi-screen presence. That's what I'd be looking for. Um, and I, and I still think that you can't beat the power of a beautifully told emotional story. If you want to build a brand, like I, I, I still, how I do it, I think is the right way to do it. You reminded me of, um, when I first met Ziggy Switkowski, who of course was the CEO of Teltra. And, um, mm-hmm. we had a great, a great conversation, talked about nuclear energy, um, which was interesting. And then I was asking him about Telstra and he said, you know, uh, the great, the great thing about being the CEO of Telstra is the balance sheet's so big, you can actually do whatever the hell you want. Right. So <laughs> if you, if you said, we're going to get into the space industry, you could do it. That must be pretty exciting. Yeah. It's, uh, oh, it's a big canvas is how I, I think about it. Um, and there are so many touch points. Um, and you know, it tells you just so in our lives. Yeah. So, so, so I, I, yeah, it's super exciting. Um, and I think that, um, you know, as someone who, who, who passionately believes in the power of brand building, um, getting your hands on a brand that big is, is exciting. And, I, and the other thing too, is that, you know, I, I, I always want to do work that's in culture. Um, you know, that, that gets, talked about that that is, is is a part of culture i think i think telstra has just got an unbelievable connection to australian culture which not many brands have so yeah man it's exciting it's it's a big canvas that's for sure well i wish you all the best i want to take us back to that pub so where, where yeah. are where are we brent what pub are we having a, a chat in uh well it'd be melbourne it'd be melbourne russ mm-hmm. because i love getting down there i don't get down there enough and you know uh you are the mayor of melbourne so i'd have to see you down there um, it would probably be in, uh, where would it be? Well, I don't know which, what are your, what are your favorite Melbourne pubs? Well, I like going to, I mean, I'm sort of obsessed with Richmond these days. Yeah. Richmond. I, I, that's where I first, when I le- left Moorabark, I first moved to Richmond. Very good. Uh, is, the, I, I, used London. To, I used to drink the Great Britain. Is that still a thing? Very much so. The London is a, is a beauty. Mainly, yeah, maybe because it's an AFL pub really. I mean, there's more screens than there is, you know, you see more screens than you see walls, you know? Oh. That's, that's the thing, mate. If you really wanted to sort of, um, have my perfect Sunday afternoon beer, we'd meet at the pub and then we'd wander down the G and, uh, watch Carlton, you know, play the D's, w- watch the blues and the D's, which, which is, if it was anything like 
round 22 this year would be a cracker. <laughs> Absolutely. So tell me outside business life. So here you are, CMO of Telstra. You've worked around the world. You've had incredible success. Um, have you got some sort of inter- other interests, Brent? Family? Um, yeah, I mean, look, I'm busy with young kids, you know, yeah. three kids. So that keeps me super busy. Um, but kids are awesome, right? I think kids, what kids, kids are awesome if you're a marketer because they do two things. They, but, but they, not if you're not. <laughs> well, I guess they, that, that's a good point. No, they're awesome either way. But, but as a marketer, they do two things, right? They, they, they keep you up with all the latest TikTok trends and, and, you know, they, they keep you current. But the other thing I love is they're the, they're just the harshest judges of your ads. Like they just think it's all lame and they tell you. And so when, when I make something that the kids don't think is lame, I'm like, okay, this is, this one's good. This one's going to be a good one. So the kids are funny like that, but, um, yeah, I, I love, I just absolutely love movies and, you know, Netflix and I'm sort of obsessed. I've always been obsessed with great storytelling. And I just think we're just surrounded by it, um, today. So, so that's good. I mean, I, I, you know, I try, I try my best to get out for a run now and then. Mm. Um, but, uh, to be honest, mate, I'm just in that zone of young kids that keep you very busy all weekend. I, I, I can't think of the last time I hit a golf ball or, or, you know, it's what happens. Did something like that. So tell me the, the shape of the industry in Australia. So when you sort of get in a helicopter and look down at the industry, I'm talking about the ad and media industry, supplier industry, I should say. What's your observations? Yeah, it's an interesting time. I, I think there's a crisis of confidence. Um, I, I, if I think back to um, when I, certainly when I started in the business, certainly as I came up through the business, um, the advertising business here in Australia, and I think, I think it's true for the, for, for most places in the world, you know, there was a confidence and a yep. swagger and a belief um, that I, 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 that I, I sense isn't there as much as it used to be. Um, I think that it's, it, it's, it's very, uh, hard when you start doing the whole, let's draw up a list of agencies that are doing great work right now. It's a pretty short list. I think that, that tends to speak volumes, um, as to where the, where the industry is at right now, you know? Yeah. Um, whereas I think, again, I go back, you go back you know, 20, 30 years, that list would have been a lot longer and there would have been a lot more top agencies doing sort of, um, you know, world-class work. Do the clients, want, think to, do the clients want to buy it? Well, good question. I mean, I think, I, look, it's a, bit, it's a bit reflected in how Australia didn't can this year. It's our worst can for a long time. So, um, so I think that's, that's an issue. I, I, I think that, um, I think agencies, advertising agencies have lost their seat at the table in many ways with senior executives in big corporates. I think that the consultants have got that space now. And I don't think it was like that again, when I grew up in the business. So, um, now all that said, it'd be easy to get a bit down on, on the industry, but I still think there's magic that happens in advertising agencies that no one else can give you. Um, and, and, and I, and I just value that so much. Um, and I, I, I want to protect that so much, um, from the agencies I work with. Um, and so, yeah, so, so I think like, you know, it'd be easy to get down on it, but I still think it's, it, there's this very special magic thing that agencies do that will always be valued. Um, and I think that no one else can do it. Well, Brent, I'll tell you what, um, now that you're sitting in that big CMO seat at Telstra, uh, the advertising industry is very pleased, maybe thankful. Certainly many people will hope that they go, that they become grateful 
um, because you're going to be able to really assist a lot of a lot of suppliers, and they will be very grateful for the opportunity. I'm sure of that. So, Brent, congratulations on your career, and sincere best wishes for the coming Telstra moment in your in your really fabulous life thus far. Oh, thank you, Russ. Thank you so much. And mate, as always, I say this to every time I see you, but, uh, thank you so much for back way back in 1995, taking a chance on a kid from Moorabark, mate. So I've got a lot to owe to you, mate. So thanks so much. And thanks for having me on the show. No worries.